Grafana is an open-source visualization and monitoring tool that is used for creating dashboards and charting time series data. Grafana is used by thousands of companies to monitor their infrastructure. It's a popular component in monitoring stacks, and it's often used together with Prometheus, Elasticsearch, MySQL, and other data sources. The engineering complexities around building Grafana involve the large number of integrations, the highly configurable React.js frontend, and the ability to query and display large datasets. Grafana must also be deployable to cloud and on-prem environments. Torkel Odegaard is a co-founder of Grafana Labs, and he joins the show to talk about his work on the open source project and the company that he's building around it. If you want to reach 30,000 unique engineers every day, consider sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Whether you are hiring engineers or selling a product to engineers, Software Engineering Daily is a great place to reach talented engineers, and you can send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com, if you're curious about sponsoring the podcast, or forward it to your marketing team. We're also looking for writers and a videographer. If you're interested in working with us, you can also send me an email, jeff at softwareengineeringdaily.com. Torkel, welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, you work on Grafana. Grafana is a visualization and monitoring tool. Describe the use case for Grafana. Oh, yeah. The use case varies greatly because it's it's very open-ended in, into what you use it for. But mainly it's used for monitoring IT systems, so applications and services and infrastructure. But it is a very sort of agnostic tool in terms of what actual applications you put it to. So some use it for sort of monitoring an industrial process through sensors that sort of transmit metrics, or you use it to monitor your home kind of energy usage. Or if you have solar panels on your roof, you might use Grafana to monitor your energy usage. And it's very much everything from sort of hobby usage to big power plants that might use Grafana. But the main, the big use case that we focus more on maybe than the others is the DevOps kind of IT operations monitoring. And that's how I got started into being kind of an architect and, and developer. I wanted to know what was going on in production with these applications that I was writing. And the metric time series databases and the tools to actually build dashboards to show what the applications and services and, and users were doing in real time, that's kind of how I got into this space and fell in love with, with metrics and instrumentation. When you first created Grafana, what was the state of the art for monitoring and visualization products? So, yeah, it was a very different space back then. The biggest product or open source project at the time was called Graphite. And this is how I got into this space. It was actually a quite old open source project. I think it was created in 2011. And it was sort of like maybe some of you that are listening are familiar with RRD tool. It was mainly the, the monitoring tools back then started kind of from monitoring infrastructure, monitoring networking. So having PNG graphs on a very, very basic dashboarding tools to monitor infrastructure metrics, CPU networking. So the thing that kind of changed around 2011, 2012 was Graphite and StatsD. They kind of made metrics more accessible and easy to use and made it much easier to instrument your application, to send application metrics, not just kind of CPU metrics or network metrics. 
and that made it possible to sort of visualize what the application was doing, the performance and behavior and business metrics, kind of adding user behavior metrics. I think a key turning point for me, at least, was the introduction of the open source project StatsD, which is now more like a protocol, a bunch of different implementations. This is what you write in your application to send metrics to a server. And that made it super easy to start sending application metrics. And Graphite was one of the first popular databases that for them. But the actual experience of building dashboards and showing these metrics was primitive and hard to use. And that's kind of where I struggled kind of getting my team to start using this tool was kind of they struggled building the dashboards and creating these graphs. And so that's why I, I started looking at creating Grafana is to help help make that process easier and more kind of visually appealing to really make something that you want to put on at the TV on the wall. So Graphite is the database for storing the metrics? So Graphite at the time was both. It was a database. It was a graph rendering piece of software that rendered, rendered PNGs. And they had a UI to build dashboards as well. So at the time, I mean, the client-side rendering wasn't that kind of great as well. So Graphite was kind of a complete package. But many struggled with its UI, its dashboard tool. And so that's kind of where Grafana took and replaced the default dashboard for Graphite. Later on, this kind of space of time series databases became hugely popular and more open source project tried to build and improve on what Graphite was doing. Databases like InfluxDB, Prometheus and others came on to sort of try to also do time series databases, but with slightly different focuses. But Grafana kind of took those, all those communities and said, okay, well, Grafana can be the UI for all of these. So uh, Grafana has a very open architecture for where the data is coming from. You can visualize data from many different types of databases. So at this point, we can start to get into the engineering of a monitoring and visualization product. So I, I think about needing to handle inputs from a variety of different sources. So, you know, there's really fast, high volume streaming data that you could need to handle, and there might be buffering issues involved with that. Maybe you have really large batch imports that you have to handle as well. Tell me about the handling of large inputs of various speeds. Grafana does do some streaming, but mainly it's about the query processing and, and sort of dispatching queries to different data sources. And a single dashboard could issue queries against multiple different data sources. So most of the processing is done by each database layer. Grafana doesn't actually do that much processing itself. So it issues queries and expects kind of the, each database backend to do most of the heavy lifting on kind of query processing. There is some processing and translation that Grafana does in terms of kind of translating the response to a unified format that Grafana understands. But yeah, so there's uh, not that much buffering going on. There is, Grafana always kind of fetches the whole time range and visualize that. We are investing more in streaming and we have some streaming use cases, but most of the scenarios and databases we work with now is kind of Grafana sends a query, all the processing is done by the actual database. So that there's not a lot of offering problem. There's caching, caching problems and, mm -hmm. and, and issues, but most of the heavy lifting is actually not done by Grafana for those problems. 
Mm. How much data do you cache on the Grafana side? It depends. It's not something we do right now. We cache depends on which data source you're using, but we don't really cache at all. Mostly because when we're looking at these time series databases, they have their own caching built in in the back end. And Grafana also is usually geared towards fast queries and, and queries and low time ranges. So you're looking at maybe last hour, last day, and the caching is mostly done by the database system. The querying process, the fetching queries from various data sources, could you take me through the life cycle of a query to a typical data source from Grafana? Yeah, sure. So this is actually where I spent a lot of time initially is if you start with the life cycle of actually writing the query, because that's where a lot of the dashboarding tools at the time did not do any sort of provided any help to the user. So the big thing that I focused on early on and continue to do is make it easier for users to actually write and understand the queries. And that was something that I wanted to place a heavy focus on to make it easier for everyone on the team to actually start using this tool and not have to learn some new syntax or query language to be able to sort of get up and running by themselves. So the journey or for a query starts really in the query builder. And uh, it's like a UI query builder that kind of helps the user write a query. And this is different for every data source. It's kind of tailor-made UI to build a query. And then it gets sent through, when Grafana actually issues a query, it gets sent through Grafana backend that proxies the query. And this is usually to work around force issues and security issues because most of the authentication to the actual database happens in the... And the lifecycle there is, yes, the query goes through some translations layer, translation layer and, and the result gets transformed to a format that Grafana can process. Because the biggest thing in Grafana is that it's multi-data source support. I think it's up to 50 different data sources now or more. So all the data sources kind of have to translate into the standard format. What is the standard format for Grafana that they all have to translate to? It's based on Arrow, Apache Arrow. I'm not sure if you've... Oh, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. ...touched on that. So th this is a quite recent kind of investment we have done to use Apache Arrow as mostly as the wire protocol, but also the kind of the structure we work with in memory is also very sort of similar and can be serialized to an Apache Arrow columnar data format. Right. So when I first did a show about Apache Arrow, it was a data interchange format for Python and Java. So you had these people who were writing Spark queries and wanted to have the Spark data that was loaded in the JVM to easily be portable to some shared Python process. But as I understand that the interchange format has really evolved to become more flexible and, and used in a wider variety of use cases. Can you tell me more about how Apache Arrow is used? Yeah, I mean, I'm actually not an expert in Apache Arrow, but the main kind of innovations in Apache Arrow is, is efficient in-memory structures for columnar data to be able to do really uh, sort of fast processing on really large data structure and also be able to have efficient wire protocols for the same kind of binary data structures. It's Apache Arrow is a binary data structure to really be able to do in-processing without heavy serialization. 
and also be able to do wire transfers without serialization costs. There are some other, I mean, there are interesting things with Apache Arrow. It's kind of a standardized protocol, so you can have greater interop with other sources as well. The interesting thing with Grafana, I think, with our backend plugin model is that it's based on gRPC as well as the wire format for the data is Apache Arrow, but the plugin protocol is gRPC. So you can actually write data source plugins in Grafana in almost any language that supports gRPC. We have some plugins, most plugins are written in Go because our backend plugin is Go and are written in Go. But we have some plugins in Node and we're looking at sort of expanding that to Python and Java as well. So to better understand the use case of Grafana and the execution of somebody building dashboards in Grafana. So I set it up and I've got my different pieces of my infrastructure that I'm monitoring. Let's say I'm you know, I'm a ride-sharing company. I've got all kinds of things I want to monitor throughout the infrastructure. Do I set up these queries and then the queries just stand there and, and then, you know, trigger every epoch and retrieve the data? Like, what's the workflow for the continuous querying? Yeah, so, so let's take one of the biggest kind of standard use cases right now is you might have a Docker container, you might be running some application in Docker, you want to have some Docker stats, say. And one of the most popular databases right now is Prometheus. So Prometheus has some ready integrations for monitoring and storing data from Docker. And it also has some excellent application libraries as well for providing custom metrics that get stored in Prometheus. And what you then do is you can either then kind of set up a Prometheus data source in Grafana. So you just point out, here's my Prometheus database server, and then start building dashboards yourself. Or you can find our already built dashboard by the community. So there's a tons of kind of Docker-based monitoring dashboards that you can find on Grafana.com or on GitHub. People share these uh, kind of pre-built dashboards. And these dashboards are specific then to that combination of kind of, okay, you're, you have a Prometheus database and you have, you want to monitor and visualize Docker metrics. So in those cases, you, you don't actually have to build the dashboard yourself. You can find really awesome already pre-built dashboards. If you have custom application metrics and you sort of, you have actually written code to increment, sort of, maybe you want to have metrics on when people log in or you want to measure the performance of certain API calls. Then you have, have to have sort of write code to instrument your application. And then you have to actually build your, a manual dashboard, build a new dashboard, add a panel, and write a query in the Prometheus query language. And this Prometheus query language is very domain-focused. It's, it's not like any other query language. Or it's, not very, it's not very similar to SQL, say. It's very specific to this is the metric and these are the lab, key values of kind of what I want to query. So you have to learn a new language. This is you know, still something that is true, even though we have a query UI, query builder that helps you a bit, you'll have to learn some new semantics of writing a metric query. Those are kind of the most common use case is kind of either monitoring an application like MySQL or some kind of pre-built where the metrics are well-defined and you can find an already built dashboard for it, or you're building custom dashboard for your own application. So you mentioned Prometheus, that's a metric server for just, it's a, well, it's a distributed metric server. Um, and, you know, I've done a number of shows on Prometheus scalability because oftentimes, you know, you, you're wanting to store 
these metrics from Prometheus and you know you're 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 getting lots and lots of data and you need some scalable way of storing and querying that data what's the state of the art for a scalable prometheus and what have the people that are using grafana tended to architect around prometheus infrastructure yeah there are really three different solutions to scaling prometheus the the first kind of out of the box experience of scaling prometheus is sort of having many Prometheus. And this is pretty common in Grafana that you just have a lot of Prometheus servers that uh, monitor different parts of your kind of infrastructure or applications. The problem then is that you don't have a central place to query all of your applications or all your infrastructure. And if you want to have a truly centralized query API that can query across many, many Prometheus servers, there are two big contenders. There's a Cortex project, which is a horizontally scalable Prometheus implementation with a truly clustered data store. And this is what we have invested heavily in at Grafana Labs and what we run our Prometheus, kind of Grafana Cloud Prometheus service on using the Cortex open source project. There's also another project called Thanos that tries to do something very similar, providing a horizontally a scalable distributed Prometheus solution. They both share very, some similar characteristics, uh, sort of similar traits, but they're also very different in how you operate them. And so you have a hosted Cortex product? Yes. So our Grafana Cloud monitor, sort of Prometheus monitoring solution or data store is run using Cortex. And so the use case there is somebody has distributed applications that they want to monitor and they want to create dashboards for those. And so they set up a Cortex instance on your cloud and then that makes it easy to also use your Grafana instances. Exactly. So in those instances, it's usually when you are reaching a point of sort of scaling Prometheus, It's you have a lot of Prometheus servers and you want a single source of truth across your whole infrastructure and across your whole kind of application services. And that's kind of where Grafana Cloud Prometheus really shines is when you want to have a centralized place to query and to visualize all that data from all your Prometheus servers. So yeah, that's the main use case when you're really at a large scale as well. We do have sort of small tiers as well when you just don't want to run Prometheus at all. We have a small agent, a Grafana Cloud agent, that is only the data collection side of the Prometheus server. So there's use cases as well for smaller users. If we come back to the core conversation around monitoring, you're talking about monitoring. Latency can be really important. Like If you have a dashboard, you want that dashboard to be up to date. Are there any issues with dealing with the latency in querying? There's usually not a problem of latencies. There can be a problem of sort of ingestion time, maybe. Sort of that the problem of... So in Prometheus, for example, you set up a scrape interval, a period of sort of when Prometheus will ask all the applications for their metrics and for all the servers for their metrics well. So there could be a lag so for when new data arrives and when it's available for being queried as well. And there's also, of course, a sort of latency in, in the query execution. So if you have a very expensive query, it can take a long time. Depending on what type of queries you do, that's rarely a huge problem with time series databases because there are you usually have a specific 
query involved and they are usually pretty fast i mean it's not like you're kind of querying and going for a coffee queries in, in for time series databases are usually sort of fast because you want to have be able to interact with the data you want to filter zoom in so the latency there is pretty good the thing that is interesting and tricky is if i'm not sure if this was what you're getting at as well but it is a different problem to measure latency you want to visualize latency. that's a different problem that prometheus also address and this is where you kind of get into sort of technical terms like percentiles and kind of distribution of measurements as well. And it's an incredibly important topic if you're interested in, in performance and actual, you know, what your users are experiencing. If you're looking at, say, an API latency that you're measuring. And here, there's really a lot of good tools out there in these instrument libraries that kind of measure your performance that you add to your code. And they can record percentiles or they basically record a distribution. So you can say with pretty good certainty that 90% of users get a response under a second. But 10%, they do have a latency above a second. Or, or you can get 99% of all users have a certain experience. And that's the real power of, of looking at latency data in a distribution instead of just looking at an average or min and max. That can also be very misleading. So that's super common use case for Grafana, looking at latency. So Grafana can be used to inspect metrics and logs. Can you tell me about the difference in what kinds of infrastructure you have to build around log querying versus metrics querying? Good question. And it's something that, at least when I got started into this, the concept of metrics and time series databases was really quite novel. And I had to explain to people what is a time series database. And people were familiar with logging because log files has existed for, for quite a number of years. But metrics is quite still maybe not super familiar to everyone. So there's the big difference is volume, basically. You can send a huge amount. You can record a huge amount of metrics because the format is so specialized and the databases are so specialized just recording measurements over time. So you don't have to have at all the same kind of level of scrutiny of what you're measuring as you have with kind of logs. As logs, logs tend to be pile up and be, be quite expensive and they are, the data volume becomes so, so large. So Grafana started just with a focus on metrics, but we have last few years or so been focusing more and more on logs and really kind of tying them to together. So you can sort of yes, explore and search for logs and also kind of jump from metrics to logs. And that's one of the reasons we launched a logs dedicated project, a database that we call Loki, which is, we will try to do something. The tagline for Loki is like Prometheus, but for logs. So it, it has a very similar kind of tagging as so a labeling system. So the mm. logs have a similar naming scheme to your metrics. And this allows you to actually then go from a metrics query that looks at, say, if you're running Kubernetes, you can look at a metrics from a specific pod in Kubernetes, say, and then jump directly to the logs for that pod. So navigations like that are really something that we focused heavily on and quite a unique in, within Grafana. So that, that use case of being able to label logs, the Prometheus-like experience of a logging system, why is that useful? It's useful because it's important when you want to sort of filter your logs or search your logs. 
you want to be able to define the same kind of filters as for your metrics. So when you search your logs or filter down your search query, you can use the same key names, label names and label keys as you do when you write your metric queries. And it, this enables kind of this consistent navigation and filtering as well as just building dashboards as well that have that where you can use the same filter keys in your both your metrics and your logs query. And this is something that also kind of magic with, with Loki in particular is that some of these label names that kind of gets be part of the log stream is defined automatically. You're using Kubernetes and you has this automatic way of kind of determining which pod and, and cluster it's running in. So if we talk about the actual design of the dashboarding layer, it's built in React and have you had much involvement in the front-end development? Yeah, that's pretty much what I'm mostly involved in. Very much involved in the front-end and UX design as well. That's kind of where one of my passions are is the UX experience of using Grafana. And we've been uh, doing a very tricky migration as well from AngularJS. We, Grafana started over six years ago now. And at the time, React didn't exist. And the most popular front-end framework uh, six years ago was AngularJS, the first one, the first version that Google launched. Horrible library, but it was popular at the time. And we have been, Google deprecated it and created a new framework called Angular 2, and which is a completely different front-end library, or at least technically it's very different. And the migration, almost like you have to rewrite your application. I wasn't that impressed with Angular 2. I think they made a lot of the same mistakes <laughs> as Angular 1. I was much more impressed with React, especially kind of for defining a complex markup. I think React is an amazing library to, and gives us powerful tools to mix code and markup. I really like React, at least before they created added hooks. You're not a fan of hooks. Both. I mean, I think uh, large functional components with a bunch of use effect and call, use callback become quite messy in, in my view and um, harder to reason about unless you kind of move all the all the state logic out but yeah there's pros and cons to hooks i think but anyway i'm, I'm a huge fan of react and we started a process of migrating AngularJS to and this is something we've been working on for now more than two years which has been interesting because we have one of the big strengths of grafana is a plugin system so you can write plugin data sources plugin panels and it's been a challenge trying to sort of move this plugin platform and dashboarding platform to React while being somewhat backward compatible with all the existing plugins out there. I've likened it to replacing kind of all the pieces of a car while it's moving. And it's gone surprisingly well. So there's lots of good ways we have been able to sort of render Angular within React and render React within Angular. And thanks to those approaches, we've been able to sort of migrate piece by piece. So the other things that are having fun to do in, on the front-end side is that we're really investing in Grafana as a platform. So we, are, we have NPM packages for all our UI components at Grafana slash UI. And we have tutorials and docs now for, for something like a CLI tool that helps you create plugins as well. So you can get sort of a template going. So we're almost like a sort of think of Bootstrap, but for, for Grafana plugins, something we're investing heavily in. So a plugin platform component libraries and, and docs to really make creating a, a new panel, a new visualization or a new data source super easy. 
Can you say a little bit more about the frustrations with hooks? I mean, I talked to a lot of people who are fans of hooks and say it improves a lot of the React concurrency issues. It's mainly, I think, a mental problem I have. I see a, a render function, like a functional component as it's a render function. It produces markup. Seeing all that, if you then mix up a bunch of use effects and use callbacks in that render function, it just kind of messes with my mind in terms of what is scope, what's just in the render path and what's actually you know, not in the render path. And that makes it, at least for me, harder to reason about the code. So, and because it mixes up all these callbacks and state logic within the render function. I like the small the hooks when the component is really small. If you're talking about a, a functional component with a hundred lines of code and a bunch of use effects and use callbacks, and the use callbacks is also just the fact that you have to, if you want to memoize the callback, you have to pass in a parameter list of kind of reuse this function unless these properties changed. Just add so much complexity, in my view, sort of to have all these memoization and things you have to think about. So, okay, I, I cache this function unless these properties changed. To me, it adds a lot of men, sort of things that could go wrong and complexities as well in terms of you know, caching functions and generating functions and dependency lists. So those are the things that I find problematic with hooks. How big is the front-end team? Let's see. The front-end team, I would say, is... We're split. We have two mainly front-end teams and one enterprise team that have some mix. Maybe 15, 16 people that are mainly front-end engineers. Plus minus two, three. I, <laughs> we're growing a lot. My numbers might be off, but around there. So we have a one platform team that is mainly just focused on these components and, and, and the dashboarding experience. And we have another team that is mainly focused on, on a use case, on, sort of, on the SRE, DevOps. Know, troubleshooting use case as well. So th we have sort of both focused teams that are focused on a specific use case, and then we have sort of platforms teams that have broader uh, focus. And can you help me understand the architecture of the overall organization? Like, what are the different teams and what is the interaction patterns around sharing information between those different teams and, and organizing plans and missions? It's a bit different, but mainly we try as much as possible kind of have a shared platform and components and 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 all the data source abstractions and and query editors are are the same there's it's heavy heavy focus on on a platform and sharing as much as possible grafana's front end is all typescript and i have a huge shout out to typescript if you're building a large front end application with lots of kind of shared components and shared types and shared interfaces use Typing, use TypeScript, use Flow or whatever. I, I could not foresee building Grafana with sort of plain untyped JavaScript. <laughs> it's, it's been a, a huge advantage to us as we have invested more and more into TypeScript uh, over the last two and a half years. And how do you feel Grafana fits into the market? So you've got a wide variety of monitoring platforms Datadog, for example, you know, it seems like there's new monitoring and logging companies that come out every day. What's Grafana's place in the market? Grafana's place in the market is quite unique still. And it's been 
I think, very unique for six years now. And that is that we, we allow you to visualize data from very different types of data sources in a single dashboard. You can even mix different data sources within a single graph. Even. And the main difference compared to some of the big SaaS vendors is that they require their data you visualize in Datadog, for example, must live inside Datadog. You have to use some of their agents and some of their ingestion APIs. If you want to visualize data in Datadog's UI, you have to send the data to them. And the biggest kind of difference with Grafana has been that it's data sources query live. Grafana itself doesn't store any data. It's, it stores some events. You, you, you can comment on graphs. You can have what we call annotations in Grafana that sort of for, for events like deployments or you just want to comment on a graph. Those are the only thing basically we store in Grafana besides dashboard. Data itself, the metrics or the logs, Grafana doesn't store them. It just fetches them live directly from the different data sources you can hook up to Grafana. And I think that's the dashboarding solution with lots of support for different open source and commercial kind of services and, and databases is one of the unique things about as well as having alerting on those all those data sources. That's also a key part of Grafana is that you can also define alert rules and not only visualize the data. What are the engineering problems that you've had as the company has scaled that you didn't have in the beginning? One of the biggest problems that we've had is, is, is kind of dealing with the open source and the adoption rate. I mean, Grafana has become one of the biggest open source projects and seeing that adoption and seeing all the sort of all the data sources, we also adds a ton of support button. We get a ton of sort of issues and feature requests and bug reports and problems that, so yes, dealing with the scale has been kind of a problem that continues to challenge us in terms of finding better solutions for issue triage or better ways to solve community support and help users be effective. Those are, I think, the problems that I didn't have in the beginning. It was just uh, Graphite and, and InfluxDB in the beginning, and it was quite easy to sort of help users with those two data sources. But now we support so many different data sources and so many more use cases. And that's a, a challenge in terms of being able to really provide solid sort of help to users that use some data source that you don't have access to or some data source plugin that you don't really know how, how it works. That's one challenge, I would say. And the other one would be it's a onboard new developers and get community involved because it's such a complex domain. That's another challenge is kind of getting people to be familiar with developing Grafana and engaging, being kind of a frequent contributor is something that we struggled with a bit. And Try to improve kind of developer guides in the last year or so, been focusing more on kind of develop advocacy and getting more people involved. And as you build out like connections to more and more data sources, is the management of all of the different integrations, is that a difficult maintenance problem? It's also something that we're kind of investing heavily in and sort of helping us. Maybe we're doing more in terms of integration testing and, and having more ways to, to automate it is the cost of all, all this kind of interoperability and being a platform is that the feature matrix is, gets quite big in terms of if you want to test with all different, different setups. We're still trying to sort of come up with better solutions there and get maybe more community in, involved in helping support different community data sources. When you talk to SRE teams or DevOps teams, 
Do you get any sense of ways that DevOps workflows are changing? Any new insights about how these teams are, are organized and the problems that they're dealing with? I think there's more to explore, I think, around kind of pre-built dashboards, best of practice kind of alert rules, and more ways we can, as a community, kind of define processes so we don't have to sort of reinvent the wheel in every kind of company for different types of alerting and monitoring scenarios. I think there's more things we can do there. One step in that direction has been something we call Prometheus mixins or Grafana mixins. I can't remember the name that, but that kind of defined dashboards and Prometheus alert rules, everything kind of in one package. And I think there's more along that path that we can explore. Other thing that we see as well is kind of as a challenge in users adopting Grafana is kind of the concept of dashboard sprawl, how everyone's kind of, kind of creating copies of dashboards and figuring out sort of what dashboard is authoritative or which dashboard is not being used. We're looking at ways to sort of help those things as well. I think the thing that we, are, we want to invest more in is kind of dashboards as code and more find better ways to kind of define your infrastructure and applications set up more as GitOps and, and through code. People use that with Grafana as well. There's a lot of popular tool is too provision Grafana with dashboards that you're defining through files and checked in through GitHub. But there's more. So that's kind of one of the advanced use cases of Grafana is kind of dashboards as code and where you fully provision Grafana from a Git repo, say. But there's more things we can do there to, to help improve that workflow. So you can actually sort of edit and improve the dashboard in the UI, but then kind of have that be maybe open a pull request to the GitHub repo or, or somehow make that flow go back, not just have your dashboard and monitoring experience defined from the code, but also defined in the UI. And that's something that we want to invest more in. I have a two-way story there. So still provide GitOps experience, but don't lose the UI. Still being able to have that be user-friendly and be powered by the UI. What kinds of management issues have you had to get better at in your journey towards becoming a company leader? Oh, transition into sort of a management position at Grafana Labs as we have grown. And I'm, I'm a manager of managers because we're now so many people that that has been required. And I just recently been, before I tried to delegate a lot of the management and people side of things to, to other people so I can stay involved in the technical side of things and, and stay involved in the product management. So I haven't sort of delved super deep into the people management and the management side of things. But the tricky thing has been kind of scaling the product management side of things as well. And that's something we're exploring more now. On the people side, I think been a fun journey kind of exploring how the one-on-ones and the, kind of the process around OKRs and setting, setting goals. And, and I'm still evolving as a manager. I'm still kind of a reluctant manager and a junior at heart. What's the interaction with the open source community how does the open source community feed into the roadmap at grafana so i think we definitely check the github issues and popularity there and that controls feeds into the roadmap and priorities the biggest things that have impacted the priorities right now the platform work that i've been involved in is sort of yes yes kind of <laughs> the react migration and getting platform that can last for a long time getting a really modern data visualization architecture and plugin architecture 
that, that can stand the test of time. And, and that is something that's taken a huge amount of time and huge amount of people. I'm looking forward to sort of have that sort of, we're super close to now being kind of somewhat done with this new panel or this new React-based architecture and new data visualization architecture. So then we can actually start addressing more of the popular community requests because they have been mostly on the second place in priorities because we have been dealing with this complex migration and trying to get a new new uh, platform in place. But yeah, I, I think it's super important to look at the open source feedback. We do uh, tons of user interviews for where we ask open source users and customers through Twitter and other ways on our public Slack as well. Give us feedback on what we should do and give us feedback on early mockups. We try to engage a lot, mainly through GitHub and our public Slack. But on, on that point, we actually sorry, recently introduced a governance model so and a public mailing list as well. Kind of how important decisions are made are now much more public. And so we have sort of a traditional open source governance model for the whole project. We should have talked earlier about this, but tell me about the deployment model for Grafana. You know, obviously it's going to vary if somebody's self-hosting versus hosting on your infrastructure, but I'd just love to know how those deployments typically are architected. Grafana itself, because Grafana doesn't do that much data processing, it just stores da dashboards and users and proxies queries to other databases. Grafana itself can be run very sort of slim. It requires not a lot of resources itself. You can run it just on 100 or 200 megs of RAM. And it runs by default with an embedded SQLite database. So there's kind of zero dependencies. So if you just want to get started with Grafana, you can just download it from, so run it on, we provide multiple of packages for different OSs and distributions, as well as Docker, of course. So it's super easy to get started with. And then, of course, if you have a lot of users, the most common kind of thing to do if you kind of cross maybe 100 users or 50 users, I don't know exactly what threshold is, you can upgrade to sort of MySQL or Postgres database. And that's just for kind of dealing with login sessions, dashboards, users, authentication tokens, and other things. That's what, what Grafana uses its database for, as well as a few other things like annotation events. So that's the most common setup for hosting Grafana. And then, of course, it varies based on what data source. And people these days, they're typically using, what, InfluxDB or, like you said, Cortex for Prometheus data. What are the other data sources that people are using? The most popular one by far is Prometheus. And InfluxDB is also very popular. And Elasticsearch is also very popular. And then we have kind of the non-core use cases in terms of SQL databases. So we do support Postgres and Out-of-Box and MySQL. And both of those are also really popular. Then we see the other really popular one are, are CloudWatch. And the, the sort of we support Out-of-the-Box, all the three major cloud vendors. So if you have running services on and use CloudWatch, you can use Grafana. And if you use Google Stack Driver uh, to monitor your infrastructure or applications there, you can use that, visualize that also within Grafana and same for Azure. And then we have support for Datadog and New Relic and, and all these other kind of SaaS vendors as well through plugins. Cool. Well, Torkel, thanks for coming on the show. It's been really great talking to you. Do you have any closing thoughts on where Grafana is going and the future of the company? Yeah, sure. I mean, we, we just launched Grafana 7.0 just a week ago. 
which is a huge landmark for this kind of new visualization platform that we've been building. So I'm really excited about seeing kind of what the community will build with this new platform. It's just a whole new level of kind of ease of use to build a new visualization within Grafana. And you get so much more for free now when you build a visualization with this new platform. You will get access to Grafana thresholds, override rules, and all, th all kind of things that are provided by the platform now. And we have some cool tutorials for how to do this. So I'm really excited about seeing kind of that just the next couple of months and years on what the community will do and as well as what the, we, the Grafana Labs, the company, will, will build using this platform. Because the thing that excites me is kind of Grafana itself is a very open-ended tool. It's like a toolbox where you can build your dashboard visualizing any data. So what I'm excited about kind of in the future is building more solution-based applications using those tools. So not everyone has to build kind of custom solutions for every use case. That's something I'm also excited about, kind of using the, the toolbox that we have assembled and building more, more solution-based products on top of it. Okay, Torkel, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great talking. Yeah, great. Thanks. Thanks.